Welcome to Defeat PPD, where we empower women to overcome anxiety and depression in motherhood without medication. I'm Arielle Wozniak, and I'm a maternal mental wellness coach, and I will be leading you through this journey. In today's episode, I am joined by Jessa Hillman of Lifestyle of an Anxious Mom. Jessa encourages mothers who struggle to balance anxiety and faith through her testimony and tips that she has learned from her experience in life and through counseling. So excited for you all to listen to today's episode, but I do just want to make a quick disclaimer. Uh, For whatever reason, the audio is not as clear as normal in this episode, but you should still be able to hear everything that we say, but just wanted to give you that little heads up going in. All right, well, let's dive into today's episode. So hello, everyone, and welcome back to Defeat PPD. Today, I have another guest who I am beyond excited to have on the podcast. She's been an inspiration in my life and connecting with her on Instagram. She shares a lot of her testimony just about struggling with anxiety and faith. And I just think it's so powerful when people tell their story, especially when it's a story that can help so many other people. So I'm going to go ahead and let Jessa introduce herself and just tell us a little bit about who you are. Thank you. I'm excited to be a part of your podcast. My name is Jessa from Lifestyle of an Anxious Mom. I am here in Virginia. I'm a mom of two. I have been blogging about my anxiety journey for a few years now. I started experiencing anxiety from a young age, and it wasn't really talked about very much. It started, I started talking about it more when I got to college when I felt it accelerating. But yeah, I'm just excited to have this platform to be speaking to moms and women in general and just being another voice to say, this is normal. You're not alone. Let's talk this through. Let me share my testimony with you and see if I can help. Yeah, I love that. And it is so interesting because I feel like so many of us start off in life with some like anxiety or fear or something that if it's not dealt with, it does become like, anxiety throughout our lives. And we just don't catch it on the front end. And it takes sometimes uh, some major event, whether that's going off to school or having a baby or whatever it is. And then you're like, oh, this is something that I should deal with so that it doesn't become an obstacle in my life. So um, I know you said that your journey with anxiety started off early. Would you mind just Mm -hmm. sharing with us a little bit about that story and how you really came to determine that it was anxiety and not just like just regular life, if you will. It's funny that you say that because it started pretty young, like noticeably around 11 or 12. And I grew up taking piano lessons. And so I would have to perform in these piano recitals. And there was a time when I was really young that performing didn't bother me at all. I would be on stage at school, speaking parts, whatever. I can't even imagine doing that now. So something switched at some point, you know, along the line. So 11 or 12, I started having problems with the piano recitals. And my mom would refer to it as my nervous stomach. Because and that's just what we coined it, because my stomach would start hurting me weeks before the recital. I was physically ill weeks before the recital. And it got to the point where Honestly, it just wasn't worth even going to the piano recitals anymore. And 
I continued taking lessons for a few more years after that and just didn't perform. And so into high school, again, the stomach aches were like a very clear sign that something was going on. I was missing classes because of the stomach aches. And my parents did take me to the doctor to figure out what was going on. And they tried to treat the physical symptoms, but no one really talked about like the mental and emotional aspect of it. We knew that there was a link between my stomach issues and my nerves or my stress level, but it was never really referred to as anxiety. And maybe too, looking at it from being a parent now, I would be a little bit nervous to maybe diagnose my child with that. Mm -hmm. And so maybe that was why. We're just going to wait and see it goes away on its own. And sadly, it didn't. (laughs) Sadly, it followed me into college. And I had my first panic attack when I was going through sorority recruitment, actually, in 2009. And yeah, right about the time that it really starts impacting your everyday life, that's when you start realizing, okay, something is wrong. There's, I need to really get to the bottom of this. And Once the term anxiety came out as a potential diagnosis, things started making a lot more sense. Oh, that is probably what I had when I was younger. And if we had called it that, would it have changed things? I don't know. I try not to go down that road because I am thankful to be where I'm at. And at least I'm past that hump now and I'm able to talk about it. I'm able to encourage people. But you're definitely right. If we can address it early on, then that will save you a lot of trouble later down the line. Yeah, I definitely agree. A couple of things kind of hit me in your story too. My son has that nervous stomach issue as well. And it's, it is, as a parent, you don't want to say, oh, my child has anxiety. And so I'm trying my best to manage through that. And I can imagine what it would have felt like for your parents too. Like, okay, maybe it's just a stomach issue. We actually took him to a gastroenterologist for that very reason. Yeah, Um, It it turns out to be that he just gets nervous about particular issues. And so now we're able to work through those things, but it is something that you don't necessarily want to have that, have that spoken about your child. So you're just like, oh, maybe they just have stomach issues. That's better than anxiety. Right. (laughs) They're both things that we just need to take care of. And then the other thing that stuck out to me is talking about your first panic attack. For me, my first panic attack happened when I was 29, maybe. I'm really bad with numbers, but somewhere (laughs) around there. And I didn't know what it was. Like I thought I was dying. And Mm -hmm. so if you could just talk to us a little bit about what was that experience like having a panic attack and I'm assuming being away from home, if it was in college, what was that like? Yes. And you said it. I thought I was dying. I thought I was having a heart attack. Obviously it was a high stress situation. I actually went to school in town, so I was not far from home but I was definitely outside of my comfort zone. I had entertained the idea of joining a sorority, even though I've been a a fairly quiet, you know, person. So I was really trying to put myself out there and be a little bit more extroverted than I normally am. And so I was pretty uncomfortable. It's not what I'm used to. And we were actually sitting in a very serious section of the sorority recruitment where everybody is quiet and these girls are sharing their testimony. And it just, it hit me all of a sudden. I felt a pain in my shoulder. 
which immediately my anxiety is like shoulder pain. That is a symptom of a heart attack. You are having a heart attack. It's shooting down my arm. My heart is beating. I'm sweating, but I'm also freezing. And all I can think is that this is a very emotional time. The girls giving their testimony are very emotional. And I'm thinking I'm going to compound their trauma when I just flat out fall out dead on this floor. Like I'm having a heart attack but I'm also too nervous to to get up and say anything. So I'm just waiting it out. I'm just waiting to see what happens. And I think I joke about it now, but it's terrifying, especially for your first time. And that's not to say that any that come after aren't also terrifying, but once you know what it is, you can calm yourself down and say, okay, we at least know that this isn't a heart attack. This is a panic attack and this is what I can do hindsight, now I know that sitting frozen like that, for me, only drags the panic attacks out. I need to get up and shake around, move my hands, get up, try to get some water. And I can't even tell you how long that panic attack lasted. It seemed like it was forever, but I'm sure it was only a matter of minutes. But that shook me up for the rest of my time going through recruitment. It was like, oh, okay, I didn't die. So what in the world was that? What do I do now? Yeah. And I think it's it's interesting that we have an abundance of information now. And so you were thinking, oh, that pain shooting down my arm, like that is a side effect of a heart attack. Where maybe 30, 40 years ago, we wouldn't have even known that was mm-hmm. a, a sign of a heart attack. So we would just be like, okay, what is this? Maybe not right. as terrified, but I feel like the more information that I've had, I feel like during panic attacks, sometimes I'll start to get dizzy. And mm-hmm. so for me, that dizziness, I was like, okay, that's a brain tumor. Like right. that this brain tumor, I'm dying right now. Um, mm-hmm. And so that abundance of information, it's interesting how sometimes that can work against us versus mm-hmm. if I just thought that something was wrong and getting up, like you said, moving around and getting that blood flowing, like sometimes that is all you need for that panic attack to subside. Instead right. of sitting here in that moment, just like, am I dying? Am I dying? And then you're pulling yourself further into panic. And you yes. don't even realize it. And you're giving mm-hmm. yourself all of these, you're basically fighting a case for why this is something really serious as you're sitting there. You're like, okay, so the pain in my arm, that means heart attack. My heart's mm-hmm. beating really fast. That also is a part of a heart attack. I'm sweating. Mm-hmm. And this is definitely a heart attack versus like, I'm just going to remove myself for a moment, get myself together. And then you maybe would have come back to the situation totally different. Right. So it's just, I think about that all the time. We just have so much information that sometimes it comes back to bite us. and. Yes like those little symptoms that you might look at and then research online, it's always that you're dying. Like Mm -hmm. it's always a brain tumor. It's always cancer. (laughs) Yes, exactly. It's always something major. So if you're listening and you're out there and you're researching symptoms, don't listen to the internet. Like you stop. Right. Yeah. There's no way you can diagnose yourself by researching one symptom on the internet. It's just not going to tell you the truth. So mm-hmm. that is something that I am a really big proponent of now. And one of the boundaries that I had to set for myself was to stop researching every mm-hmm. symptom that I felt because I convinced myself I was dying like three times a day. No big yes. deal. <laughs> no, that's good advice. And like you said, if you are prone to anxious tendencies, then it is going to be really easy for you to fall into that spiral of, Uh, escalation when you're in a panic attack. I feel like I have a lot more tools now that I can actually step back in the midst of one and say, okay, take a breath, do this, you're safe. But at the time, you're battling that fight or flight. And it's 
it takes practice, as frustrating as that is, it takes practice to be able to step back when your body is being hijacked by this instinct to say, okay, I'm safe, ground yourself, I'm here, I'm sitting with these girls, I'm not common sense right now would say, okay, I'm not in imminent danger. Realistically, I'm 20 something, would I be having a heart attack if I'm, you know, fairly healthy? But in that moment, yeah, I definitely was not able to think that it just was a downhill spiral into, they're going to have to come take me out of here on a stretcher. Everybody's going to be talking about it. Yeah, I have had that. And I think it's interesting because there's like the emotional part of your brain and the logical part of your brain. And Mm -hmm. when you panic, it is all emotions. Like, oh yeah, logic that you knew before coming into that panic attack oftentimes goes out the window unless Mm -hmm. you have practiced it. And so if you have practiced being calm and peaceful and having those moments to breathe, then it becomes a lot easier versus it being your first time when you have absolutely zero experience and it's just death. That's it. There's, There's nothing I can do here. I'll die. They're, like you said, they'll get the stretcher. Everyone will talk about it. Really <laughs> right. I'll be embarrassed so. from beyond the grave. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about your story and experiencing anxiety before having children. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear how that has changed since having children. Like tell us about like the pregnancies and how that morphed. And if it's the same today as it was before, different, like how's it changed now? So my husband and I got married in 2011, and by 2013, we were expecting our first child. Oh, and actually, I told you wrong. Good grief. We actually got married in 2012, because I was going to say, we actually, it seems like forever ago. We were pregnant. We found out we were pregnant before our first wedding anniversary. So it was pretty soon, and we were trying. We were ready to start a family, but... I experienced a lot of emotions finding out that I was able to get pregnant that quickly. And so I felt a lot of, I guess, anxiety. I just felt like I am not the kind of woman I want to be as a mom yet. Like, I'm not ready. Even though we were planning, all of a sudden you get that positive pregnancy test and you're like, I take it back. I'm not ready. What am I doing? I know nothing about this. And so... A lot of that, also the anxiety was compounded by the fact that I had just gone back to my doctor and asked to get put back on anxiety medication. So I'd had my first panic attack in 2009. From 2009 to 2012, I'd been back and forth going to counseling. I had made the the big step, it felt like, to start taking medication daily And I did notice that helped and then prematurely took myself off the medication because I'm fine now. I'm better. Word of advice for listeners, don't do that. You need (laughs) to talk to your doctor about it. Yes, definitely talk to your doctor. And so when I went off prematurely, the panic attacks came back and I had just gone to the doctor. I had been on the medication for two weeks when I got that positive pregnancy test. And so then I'm like spiraling again. And I'm having these conversations with God. Okay, I felt compelled to go back and get on medication. Why then am I pregnant? Or why then did I go back and get the medication if now I feel like I can't stay on it because I'm pregnant? So I went on just to immediately go back off. And that kind of started my faith journey. 
with struggling with anxiety and panic attacks and feeling, okay, this is God telling me I have to fully rely on him now. Mm-hmm. I have no choice. <laughs> I cannot take the medication. I didn't want to risk it. That led to a lot of struggles, but it also was a very powerful time of my life because I was able to do things that a few years later, I found myself all of a sudden incapable of doing. My husband and I traveled. I was able to keep my anxiety in check. I I found out a lot of different coping mechanisms that helped, grounding techniques, breathing techniques that helped. When my daughter was seven months old, I found out that I was pregnant with my son. So we had started trying to have kids pretty one right (laughs) after the other. And so my kids are 14 months apart. And so basically for two years there, I was pregnant and off medication and was hopeful that, okay, this is working out all right. I was not completely anxiety free by any means. But it was still a big shock to me when after my son was born, my anxiety took a turn that I did not expect. So I also felt like I didn't experience much postpartum depression after my daughter was born. Mm -hmm. I did feel those baby blues crying on the way home from the hospital. Who thought it was a good idea to let me leave with this baby? I don't even know if I, is it okay for me to not bathe her every night? Was a thought that I had. I don't even know these very simple things. I'm not feeling confident as a mom who said that I could do this. (laughs) And so I got my bearings as my daughter was growing up. I had some maybe false confidence going into parenting my son because a girl and a boy are so totally different we started experiencing some issues with my son and sleeping, which just added to my issues. And so all of the hardships that I was facing fed into some of that postpartum depression, feeling like it was my fault that Mm -hmm. I had put myself in these situations. I was the one that had wanted to have kids close in age. I did this to myself. How silly was I to think that I could handle this? And so I find I found myself struggling with those thoughts a year or two. My son was a year or two old and I was still struggling with that. I can't even complain because I did this to myself and just really talking down on myself. And what happened was I felt very outnumbered. I had two small kids. My daughter was still in diapers when my son was born. And my husband works a job that he's just not available very often And he was called back to work two weeks after my son was born. And so I really didn't have a lot of help here. I, I, my parents are close, thankfully, and I'm very blessed by that. But I also maybe am am too independent at times where I didn't want to burden them, even though I'm struggling and I'm crying myself to sleep and all of this. I didn't want to ask them to come over and stay the night or anything like that. I needed to do it by myself, I thought. I distinctly remember a turning point with the panic attacks. I had taken the kids to Sam's club and I felt one coming. And even now my anxiety, it affects my stomach immediately, which just, it's a vicious cycle. Is my anxiety going to turn into a stomach ache? And then because of that, I'm going to be more, you know, anxious. And I'm in the bathroom with the, the huge Sam's club cart with my two kids in the cart. And I'm like trapped in this stall. And I'm like, 
how am I going to get home? I should have never left the house. What was I thinking doing this? I can't do this. I called my parents crying. I wasn't sure if they were going to have to come and pick the kids up and take them home. And then I would just get home whenever I could type thing. That was really a turning point because the negative ways that I spoke to myself during that anxiety and panic attack, it, it paralyzed me. I found myself unable to leave the house with my kids for months and months because I could not, I would barely get to the car and I would start having one. And I did go back to the doctor. I resumed counseling. I decided to go back on medication. I needed to do something. This was not the type of person I wanted to be as a mom. I didn't want to be paralyzed at home, unable to leave. And I did, you know, try to do something about it. I had prayed about it. Of course, you're questioning, like, why is this happening? For two years, I was off medication. I was faithful and trusting in God. And for whatever reason, my journey with the panic attacks just was not over yet. Thankfully, I put in the work and I, like I said, went to counseling, faithfully took my medication, looked into some holistic approaches as well. And I am so much further along now than I had hoped I would be. And I'm so thankful for that. I took my first road trip a couple months ago. My best friend got married in South Carolina. And so from here, it was about a six-hour trip. And like I said, there was a point two, two and a half years ago that I was unable to drive down the street, let alone drive six hours in a car. And so for me, that was huge. I didn't think that this was possible. And so that, that is why I have this platform, because there are times where you will feel like you are never going to become that person you wanted to be, or you're never going to get back to that place that you were. Maybe you had hit a big peak in your life and you felt like things are going great. And for whatever reason, anxiety kind of knocked you on your butt. I am glad to be in that place today where I can say there is hope. This is something that, yes, it's frustrating and you wish that you didn't have to live with, but it's possible to still have a life despite it. Yeah, that is so good. I I love so much of what you shared there, Jessa. One of the things that I'm a really big proponent of as well is like looking back at where it is that you came from and actually Mm -hmm. acknowledging and celebrating those successes Mm -hmm. What we tend to do, or at least I can speak for myself, is what I tend to do is I look forward so much and I'm like thinking about all that I want to accomplish. And man, I really wish that I could be like this. And I don't have, Mm -hmm. I wish I didn't have to live with this. And thinking more on the the negative side, if you will, versus looking back and saying, oh, you know what? Two years ago, I couldn't drive down the street without a panic attack. I drove six hours without a panic attack. That is a huge deal. And Uh, yeah. I feel like everyone's story is so different. So for someone else, like six hours in the car, they might be like, oh, that's totally fine. I could always do right. that. Right, right. an accomplishment for you. I feel like for myself, six hours, I'm like, oh, can I do it? I don't know. Right. Um, and so it, it's so important for us to, to stay in our own lane, look at our progress. Okay, where was I two weeks ago, three weeks ago, a month mm-hmm. ago? Okay, let me actually track the progress that I've made. I love, there was a message by Priscilla Schreier at one point. And she talked about looking for like the small miracles versus mm-hmm. waiting for the Red Sea to part. And so we're yes. all like this Red Sea moment. And 
what actually ends up happening is there are these small miracles every day Mm -hmm. happening and we don't even acknowledge that they happened. And it takes a moment for us to pause and to look back and this event of having your best friend get married in another state, it's like, oh, okay, I can actually do this. Mm -hmm. I can do this and I could not do it. I know for a fact, I would not have been able to do it if this were a year ago. And so I feel like those are so important for us to just pause and to acknowledge how far we actually have come. And that's something that I try to make a habit of, but even I get caught in that trap where I'm like, I still have so much progress to make. Like I'm not Mm -hmm. where I want to be, or I'm not where I was prior to having kids, but that's, it's irrelevant of where you were before or where you want to be because we only have this present moment. And so right. focus on here and here, right. Jessa, you've made so much progress. I've made so much <laughs> progress. And I'm sure people who are listening as well, you have made progress. You have right. to look for it. Right. Actually like sit down in silence and write out what life was like a year ago or mm-hmm. what it was like just a month ago and now where you are today and actually thank God for the progress that you've made, it will shift your attitude when you're looking at it from a place of gratitude versus, mm-hmm. okay, I still have all of this left to do and I don't know how I'm going to get to this point and everything is doom and gloom. So try to shift to that gratitude. I, I love that you've said that because yeah, I feel like it's a good reminder for me. I Like I said, I try to make a habit of it, but I haven't done it recently. I haven't. Yeah. You were here. You've gotten here. And it's because of God and his grace that you've actually made it through this far. So that's something to celebrate. So I love that. And I love, yeah, the way that you described it as small miracles. And as you were talking about that, it just struck me that this this is also one reason why I think it's important to have some sort of support network. If you feel like you are struggling with anxiety, depression, postpartum depression, you might feel like the thoughts that you are having are so abnormal, so terrible. No one else has ever thought them. You'd be embarrassed to tell anybody. I want to tell you that they are normal and that it's important for you to tell someone else. You can choose who that person is. Maybe it's your mom. Maybe it's a close girlfriend. Pick someone that you trust that can help. I was not always able to remind myself of how far I had come either because I don't always have the best inner voice. She doesn't always tell me the nicest things. And my mom was one of those people who would remind me like, hey, I know you're frustrated because you have found yourself, you feel paralyzed in this moment again. And so you're looking at it like, oh, I haven't gotten past this, you know, paralyzing part of my fear. However, you are further down the road than you have ever gotten. And so you have to look at it that way. And you can't compare yourself to other people. Because like you said, I would be embarrassed to tell people that I couldn't get through the tunnel, which if you're from this area, I'm in Hampton Roads, Virginia, and we have these tunnels that they take you under the water to the other side. And everybody freaks out going through the tunnel. So traffic, it's notorious. Traffic is going to back up. If there's an accident, oh my gosh, there goes the rest of your day. And I would feel silly though, because it's just such a common part of living in this area. Like you drive through the tunnel and you deal with it. I felt silly saying, no, I can't drive through the tunnel. I can't. Just the thought of hitting traffic is going to make me have a panic attack. And I've had so many going there that getting on the interstate is going to trigger a panic attack. But like your past 
the, the places where you've had them in the past can mm-hmm. sometimes be a trigger for them now. And, and yeah, with other people's help, with my support network's help, it was like, you can't compare yourself to somebody else. Everybody is struggling with a problem of their own that they feel is so abnormal. And it's not, it's just, we all deal with different things. We're all triggered by different things. And once you're able to accept that, it does make your journey a little bit easier because yeah, then you're not also worrying about what is someone going to think of me when I tell them I'm struggling with this. You can look at it from the big picture and say, okay, you know what? Yeah, I do struggle. Like traffic is one of my triggers. And as crazy as that might seem to you, it, it is what it is for me. And yeah. I've been able to heal by even just admitting that. So that's important too. Yeah. I think that's uh, similar to an AA meeting where they have you admit that is a trigger for you. And it's a trigger right. for me as well. When I'm stuck in traffic, I'm like, oh no, if there gets to be too much traffic, like I don't want to panic. And driving mm-hmm. and panicking is like one of those fears that I have. Mm-hmm. And I love that you share that and letting people know that like the thoughts that you have you're probably not even the first person to have that thought, even right. as crazy as you might think that it sounds. And mm-hmm. my therapist used to tell me to stop using the word crazy because I would be like, that's a crazy thought. It just sounds right. crazy. She's like, no, it's not crazy. I'm like, but it, it is. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and so we all have these thoughts that we might consider to be crazy, mm-hmm. but I guarantee you someone else has had it. I've actually, oh, yeah. um, I was listening to John Christ, I think his name is. He's a, a Christian comedian. Yes. And, um, <laughs> he's like, but he talked he about intrusive thoughts one time. And he talked about how he was just driving down the road. And he had this thought, what if I just hit this person who was driving their bicycle beside him? And he was like, yeah. that is crazy. Why did I think that? And yeah. he started to judge himself. But everyone else is like, oh my gosh, that happens to me too. Like I walked by this banister and I was like, what, what if I jump? People just had these... <laughs> thoughts where you're like, right, this is crazy. Why am I thinking this? But so many other people have it. And when you actually use your voice and say, I've thought this before, you would be surprised how many people are like, me too. I thought I was alone in this. And having that support, like you were talking about, it can be so beneficial in multiple ways. It can be someone who can remind you where you've come from, how far you've made it. And then also someone who's, oh, me too. I've had Mm -hmm. that. And when I was really struggling with anxiety, my friend's husband actually he really struggles with anxiety as well. And he became like my best bud during that season because <laughs> we would just talk about the things that we were struggling with and like yes. sleep is one of those things or like different issues that we were facing. And it was just so nice to know that there was someone who truly understood because yes. I would say something, he's like, oh my gosh, me too, that happened to me. And we're like, so just geeking out about like different anxiety stuff that's happening. Right. Having that community just means so much. And I yes. really feel like that was a huge part of healing for me is like knowing that like, I'm not crazy or that different from other people. It's just different life experiences. And I'm sure mm-hmm. whoever it is that you're talking to or thinking that might judge you, they've got something inside their mind where they're like, I'll never say that because someone would judge me for it as well. Exactly. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. You're so right. Yeah. And the thing, our brains are amazing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense why they hijack us the way that we do. But as you were talking, I just was thinking about this statement that your thoughts are not facts. We see that. And it's hard for us, again, in the moment to tell ourselves that when we feel like we're dying, that is a feeling that is a thought we have. That's not a fact. A panic attack 
is not, it was not going to, you know, kill me in that moment. But that's what, where my thoughts were going. My anxiety had hijacked me and my thoughts and it just escalated from there. And so being able to speak those thoughts too, sometimes they sound different coming out of your mouth. They sound really scary in my head. But then when I tell somebody, I'm like, oh, sounds silly, right? That's just kind of crazy. But in the moment, when you keep that to yourself and you keep your thoughts to yourself, able to grow and escalate and yeah speaking them finding someone that you trust to talk to or a counselor I'm a huge advocate of going to counseling any of those things can help you to just bring it down to a manageable size and level and then work from there (laughs) yeah I actually listened to a therapist the other day who was saying that she shrinks fears and Mm. I, I think that is what you do when you speak it out loud and you bring light to what can grow in dark. It, it just, it makes it a lot smaller. You're like, oh, that's silly. I would actually never crash into that person on their bicycle. It just came right. into my head. Like, it's not really as scary as it might seem because I know I would never do it. And if you keep that inside and you let those kind of thoughts fester, they become something bigger than what they even need to be. And when you speak it out loud, there's so much power in that, that it starts to shrink the issue. You're like, oh, okay. It's really not as scary as I thought it was. So I love all of that really big (laughs) speaking. And in the Bible, it tells us that there's life and death and the power of our tongue. Speak it out loud, just call it what it is and be able to move forward. So love all those things. And I know we're coming up on our time together, but I want to just get from you, someone who has struggled with anxiety and has been able to live in Mm -hmm. in freedom, which I know a lot of people look for when they're struggling with anxiety. Like what advice might you offer to someone? Even like scriptures that you've clung on to, like what things have been super beneficial for you in this journey? Right. Yeah. So I definitely feel like I have a lot of advice now that I, and, and I will say I am not past it. I have problems every day with anxiety still in different ways. I've been able to manage one fear, let's say, and I still have a couple more that bother me, but I still have to look at the victories that I have made in the last couple of years. So one thing that I had to do is, again, because I am not an optimist by nature. I don't have the most encouraging inner voice. My anxiety also does not tell me nice things. So I have to set out reminders for myself. I need to make, I need to make sure that as I go throughout my day, I am reminded of the hope I have in Christ, of how far I've come. And so for me, some of the things that I have done as a permanent reminder is I've implemented some of my anxiety journey into my tattoos. And so one and my mom and I actually got a tattoo on our shoulder that says, nevertheless, she persisted, which is a reminder for me of how far I have come. And so every time I see that when I'm getting dressed, that is who I am. I have persisted. I am going to continue to persist. Um, even if it's a baby step, even if I have to take a break for a day or two, I'm going to get back up eventually. I'm going to catch my breath and I will keep moving forward. I was having a conversation with a girlfriend one night and I was telling her that my panic attacks were coming back at night, that I was, you know, being attacked at night by my thoughts and that I was having such a hard time. And she had also asked me about some Bible verses that had helped in the past. 
okay, let's look at what things helped you in the past. And maybe you have stopped doing some of those things and maybe you need to start doing them again. And I said, okay, so one of the things I would do when I'd be driving down the road, because that's where I am prone to being anxious, right? Is I would look for like God sightings, which for me, I started to associate certain verses uh, from scripture with birds. And so I would focus on the verses from Matthew 6. I think it starts in verse 25 through, I don't know, 34 maybe, where it talks about look at the birds of the air and how God takes care of them. They don't worry about anything. He provides for them. And how much more valuable are you to him than the birds? And so I would, it started off not being automatic. I had to remind myself oh, you just saw a bird. What was that verse again? After a while, it became automatic that I would start looking for them when I'd be on the road. Like I'm feeling nervous. All right, where's my bird? Where's God is here. God is with me. He wants the best for me. He provides for me. The worst possible thing I can think of happening, even if that happens, God will still be there. He still loves me despite it. So when I remembered that, my, my big thing with having panic attacks at night is that there were no birds. I couldn't see any birds because it was dark. And I said, jokingly, I just need to get a tattoo with some birds so that I can see them all the time. And I don't know if that was like a divine word spoken by the Holy Spirit, but I was like, I'm going to go do that. I am under, you know, spiritual attack at night worrying about these things. And so I got my permanent reminder on my wrist of some birds. And so I see them throughout the day. And at night, I can look at it. And gosh, any reminder that you can make for yourself that takes you back to scripture, do it. If there's anything that can combat your fear and your anxiety, and like you said, shine some light on that darkness so that those fears can't grow, do it. (laughs) Nice. I love that, Jessa. I actually got tattoos memorialize my journey with postpartum mm-hmm. anxiety as well. And it was served as a daily reminder for me when I was actually like struggling with it. I would write on my arm, like mm-hmm. literally take a marker, write on my arm, a different verse. And I'm like, okay, it's still there. Like I've got this. And so yes. I love the idea of the birds and like having those things, those permanent markers on you. And mm-hmm. for me, I look down at my wrist and one wrist says that I'm known and the other wrist that says that I'm chosen. And for me, like that symbolizes the fact that he already knew I was going to go through all these struggles and everything that's just wrong with me in my eyes. And yet he Mm -hmm. chose me as his daughter. Like he chose me to carry out his mission here on earth. That's powerful. It is. I look at it, I'm like, okay, like you can get through whatever you're going through. He chose you. He already knew that this was going to happen before he like spoke the earth into existence. Blows my mind. And Mm -hmm. thinking about the birds, like I think about like how nature just is a reflection of God and his goodness and his beauty. And for me, I would literally just go outside, look up at the sky, wasn't looking for birds, but maybe now I will. Like this world is so large and God decided to create little me. I have a purpose for being here with all that he's created. Like he didn't have to create me. Like he didn't need me, but he wanted me. You like that, those reminders are so good to have. And I love that you've mentioned them because now I, I want to remind myself as well. And maybe while I'm driving, I'll be looking for the birds or looking at yeah. trees or whatever. Like <laughs> anything that brings you back to that place that is so beautiful. Yes. And like you said, 
these things that, that you and I have experienced in our life, they were a surprise to us, Mm -hmm. but they were not a surprise to God. And that's also something to remember if you're a believer and listening is just that there is no shame in bringing this to God and there is no embarrassment talking to him about it because he already knows. He already knew that this was going to happen. He already knows that you're going to come out of it on the other end. You feel like you don't know that yet, but yeah, that's just so powerful. I love that. God is great. I feel like this was such a blessing to me and I hope that it blesses my audience and yes. Jess's audience as well. This has just been such a time of just encouragement. And that's what I hope for these episodes to be. Like, I want you all to walk away knowing that this is not permanent. And though it may be something that you struggle with, I think of Paul in the thorn in his side, like he still Mm -hmm. went on to do some powerful ministry, writing over half of the New Testament with Mm -hmm. a thorn in his side. We don't know what it was, but he had something plaguing him as well. And so don't think that because you're struggling with anxiety or struggling with depression, that you can't be used, that your life is not valuable. You might as well give up. Those are all lies from the enemy. Like your life is still so precious. God Mm -hmm. still loves you. He sees you. um, And he sees you, like Jessica said, coming out of the other side. So just know that and know that you are so loved beyond words and that it gets better. Each day will get better. Just remember to look for those reminders as both Jess and I spoke about and just the markers that show how far you've come. And before we kind of end, I I want to make sure my audience knows how to get connected with you. What's the best way to get in touch if they want to reach out to you, if parts of your story set out to them, how can they connect to you? Yeah, absolutely. So I spend most of my time on Instagram. So you can definitely find me under my handle lifestyle of an anxious mom. I love talking to people in my audience. I love, like I said, being a resource for you. If you have questions about anything that I talked about on this episode or any other anxiety, medication, coping mechanism questions you have. I'm not an expert by any means, but I'm very comfortable sharing my story and trying to help as best I can. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today, Jessa. I will definitely. Thank you. you. Yeah. (laughs) Same to you. All right, guys. As always, this is your host, Arielle Wozniak. Again, that was Jessa. You can connect with her on Instagram. But I'm always here if you ever want to reach out. Do not hesitate to reach out to me by email. It's info at defeatppd.com. And I will see you on the next episode. Bye.